0: A you Spider Woman, reader? Is that is that what you're telling me? Uh, in
1: disguise, in disguise, in between other activities, in as a, as a way of of leisure, of recreation, really. But you know, Spider Woman <laughs> is certainly one of them.
0: <laughs> I love it, my friend. this episode of the Social Work Tutor podcast where I am joined in this studio by Rita. Rita my friend firstly welcome to the show and secondly would you like to introduce yourself to the social work world.
1: Uh, thank you Social Work uh, Tutor. Um, yes I'm Rita as you said uh, I'm a social worker but a lot more will be discovered as we go through this, um, this podcast I'm sure.
0: I'm excited. Oh, Rita, how how salacious that is, my friend. What a treat. I know. Dangle both in front of me and our listeners. I'm a social worker, but so much more. It's interesting how you've put that though, because you know, when you meet people for the first time, and and, and I'm guilty of this myself too, when you meet people for the first time, what what is the first question you ask them, Rita?
1: Often, what do you do
0: exactly? And we define ourselves by that, don't we? We define ourselves by that. You'll say to people, "What do you do?" and then people will give you an answer. And 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 naturally, such as human nature, you will ascribe lots of values to them based on the answer: professional status, educational status, status within society, perhaps a wage, and 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 a sort of viewpoint of the world, and so on. Uh, What do you think people think? when you tell people you're a social worker? I'm completely gone off topic right from the bat here, listeners. Uh, Me and Rita didn't prepare for this all, but it's just just something I thought of that's quite an interesting point. You know, when you tell people you're a social worker, how, how do people react in general to you? Um...
1: I think they initially want to know what what kind of social worker I am, and I think mm. in our world would be what is my client group. Um, yeah. That seems to make a difference to people, as you as you probably know. Um, and the moment you mention the two words child protection, uh, then uh, conjures up this image of horror on people's faces, really. Yeah. Um, and they often, I, I think, that's sort of most typical. Um, reaction i get is oh i couldn't do your job yeah. um so yes there is a sense that is very much a topic that nobody really wants to talk about and it's certainly not something that um you would want to discuss over over an aperitif at a, at a party really um, so yes that's a conversation stopper really so i tend to then sort of <laughs> focus on <laughs> focus on more interesting um you know things that i uh, make me who i am really so um you know my hobbies typically are, are the ones that sort uh... of it's the topic that i revert to um to get out of that awkwardness of the words child protection and, and the reaction from from whoever i'm speaking with really so um yes we then move on to talk about other things
0: very quickly I'm a social worker, but here with the list, without 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 breaking breath, you swiftly move on. It, it's a society, though, as I think, as as human beings, we do. That's a, you know, I'm just as guilty as you know, just as just as much as people will assume things and have biases regarding my profession as a like you in child protection social work. I think as human beings, we were, all, we're all as guilty as that. You know, if someone was to tell me I'm a traffic warden, if someone was to tell me, you know, they were a bailiff or a tax collector, other jobs which are sadly viewed in a negative perception within greater society. I, I'm i not so sure I could be too critical of people for having to go at me for being a social worker when, again, if I'm being honest, if people were to tell me they're a traffic warden, the first thing that would jump to my mind is all the traffic parking tickets I have been given whilst in the line of duty. Yeah. Absolutely. Bit... Um, anyway, Rita, my friend, we are not here to talk about my biases. <laughs> no. Towards fine, upstanding members of the community who collect our taxes and ticket our cars. We are here to talk about you, my friend. So, as is customary when we have guests on the show... I always like to ask people, I'm not in an accusatory way. I'm not going to say, why did you become a social worker? I'm going to do no, it in a I... softer tone. Um, what drew you into this noble profession, my friend? How did you become a social worker? <sighs>
1: It was a, a, I've always had the sense that I wanted to um, invest my time really in something that was meaningful um, and it took me some time really to um, come up with a with something that uh, fitted that definition really. Um, I didn't uh, come into social work earlier on in my life, in fact um, I'm a mature social worker, whatever that means, uh, so I'm, start, I'm giving away to the listeners that I'm slightly older. Um, and I, I got to the stage where I, I wanted to do something different that was about people, um, having come from business really my my background is very much industry and, and business, and it felt um towards um you know just sort of in my thirties and late thirties as quite an empty and empty place to be really in a lot of ways yeah. I think part of it um, was also the fact that I'd had, uh, you know, some difficult time as a child, uh, you know, my, my uh, without wanting to disclose too much, which wouldn't be appropriate in our line of work. Um, but certainly I've had some difficulties as a child in terms of, um, you know, parental difficulties and so mm. on. And I, I think I was always um, hoping to get to the stage in my life where I would have, you know, I'd, I'd, I was able to process that and get to the other end and, and do something meaningful, which was about people um, mm. because uh, of, you know, the, the desire really to understand more and to to um, to, to invest my time and energy into uh, something that was complex, but felt that had a purpose and had a real meaning to me anyway, um, because all professions and all jobs do have a meaning um, to, to the people who do them. So I I sort of, gradually uh, moved away from working in in business uh, into taking up a part-time work in social care. Mm-hmm. So I did it very gradually. So it's very much sort of... Uh, my proverbial toe in the water by um, doing some support work at weekends and then sort of build up more courage to give up uh, a very uh, successful and, and you know, well-paid um, job in industry and then uh, move across to social care full-time. And then, then having done some work in um, family support and a range of roles, then I finally sort of <laughs> Uh, dived into sort of a, a social work master's degree. I had a social work, um, uh, sorry, I had a um first degree in politics, uh, yes. which I really enjoyed, not very useful, but uh, certainly enjoyable. Um, and so I took the uh master's degree route, and here I am today, really. You are. Uh, so it's been, yes
0: it's interesting what you say there about your route into social work and again you know certainly i'm not going to ask you to share anything about your past that you don't want to and is what you've shared there is more than enough my friend the point you make there is, is so common within social work and it's one i i have often spoken on this show an hour out of hours show regarding my own childhood and not that that was necessarily a driver, a specific driver. It wasn't as if anything happened to me and I thought, right, I'm going to become a social worker because of this. But it did make me more mindful of people needing somebody. And and I came into social work with an ethos of wanting to be the person that I didn't have. And I think there are a lot of wounded healers in social work, aren't there, Rita? I think it's, it's... Mine and yours experiences of having those adverse childhood experiences and coming to social work, those aren't uncommon in our profession, are they?
1: Then they're not. Um, and I think it's been, um, you know, mindful that uh, coming into social work needs to be at a time where you've sort of unpacked those, yes. um, those experiences and you're in a place where you're not taking them into practice with you. Um, not so much, I mean, some of the learning and some of the human experiences certainly uh, make your practice a lot richer, uh, but not in so far as identifying in, in a very personal way or, or transference really would be will be a concern really so um I think for me I think the reason why I came into social work later on is because I really knew that I had to be emotionally ready yes. to have come to terms with my past and be able to move on and be able to uh you know work with families who you know more often than not have uh similar difficulties in terms of you know the, the, the parental difficulties that I experienced um are, are the ones I work with um, yes. and I'm able to sort of feel that there is a divide, I don't identify, I don't feel I know what domestic violence is all about, because I've been there myself, I don't really, um, you know, want to, you know, I, I don't seek to identify in that way on a personal level. So that's, that's why sort of, I, I felt I had to take some time before I could, uh, I was ready to take that sort of leap of faith, really. <laughs> um, yes.
0: No, you're totally right there, and and I think it's about knowing yourself. and the, And the key term you've used there is transference. What's interesting about transference is, is is I'm not sure if your education at university was was much different to mine, but we never really touched upon that much at university, and it was never something that was really discussed in my on the job trainings so when you do training days and training courses that are offered through the course of your employment once you become a qualified social worker i already learned about that in depth when i did my counseling training which i only completed last year so i started my counseling training around 2 years ago and, and completed it last year i already learned about how powerful and important transference is and you know and that you know that that danger if you ascribe your own fears and wishes and feelings and views onto other people, but it's so powerful, isn't it? We've got to be very, very careful. And and exactly as you say there, Rita, you have to, you have to be so mindful of coming into social work and trying to use it as a way to exercise the demons of your past. Yes, it's great if you use that to power you, but you can't, you can't project your own feelings and your own experiences onto other people, can you? That's something you really have to work hard to avoid, don't you? Uh,
1: yes, um, and that's really um, because the, the, the purpose of you being with a family with children mm. uh, is about their outcomes and their needs. It's not about repairing whatever... Um, you know, it's missing in you, whatever you, you you know, you've experienced. And that's really quite important, really. I I know that there are really, really uh, robust and very competent social workers out there who have come straight from a position of having experience of a um, childhood experience and coming into the profession, I felt I needed to take some time and I needed yeah. to, to mature really um, emotionally and be in a place where it was safe for me and others really to um, uh, to work with me as a practitioner.
0: Yeah. No, um, I, I'm exactly the same there, my friend, and that's why I was mm, 29 before I qualified as a social worker. Um let's talk about your social work career thus far so how has your social work career progressed my friends what was your first job in social work where did that take you to and how have you ended up where you are now
1: I um as I sort of touched on before um I took an unqualified route initially into social care um with children and families um I would say I, I, I don't know why um uh, that is but certainly I've never felt drawn to adult social care or any any other sort of um, you know, parts of social care at all. Children and families was what I wanted to work in. Um, so I started off a range of roles, I talked about um, um, family support being one of them, and I did some work around um, with uh, young carers, I worked with um, teenagers at risk of um, sexual exploitation and and criminal exploitation, so I did a range of things, became a social worker, and I really... um, very earlier on, uh, wanted to work at the very complex end of, of uh, the, uh, you know, children and families sort of practice, which is sort of the high end of CP, sort of yeah. uh, so child protection, uh, public law line and, and care proceedings. That's really where our practice are so qualified and I pretty much stayed in that, uh, in, in that sort of um, line of, in, in that particular area of practice since. Um, I think the turning point came for me as a parent, really. Um, I I very much felt I worked for statutory agencies. So, you know, I was very much your (laughs) frontline social worker in, in, in children's services. Um, I, I got to the stage where uh, the uh, the demands of the the, the role was su- as such that um, I felt it was a very sort of one way deal. The, the, what I mean by that is that um, the profession and, and certainly my employer expected me to work very long hours, um, but there was little flexibility when it came to me as, as a, as a mum, really. If I needed time off, so um, yeah, sort of so that that sense of I needed a break to to move away from from uh, you know a, 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 some of the systemic issues that we know very well, and um, we often hear about on on your podcast of feeling that uh, you know the role is becoming all consuming, but also uh, inflexible when it comes to me as as a person. So that's um, that said, I, I took the decision. Three years ago now, just over three years, I remember it was around February 2018, I wanted to do something different. Um, I felt, um, you know, some of the restrictive um, working hours of of frontline practice were an issue um, and some of the professional sort of facets of that were also around uh, lack of autonomy really I felt very much that I wanted to uh, be able to assess the situation and make uh, you know recommendations and, and uh, support sort of the best outcome for the child which wasn't resource-led or, or you know certainly not driven by uh, others in, uh, in, 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 in the management structure really mm-hmm. so the, the combination of that frustration really for me as an individual feeling that uh, it was very much uh, not a very fair deal um, and uh, feeling that um, I had, at times, very limited autonomy to, to actually preserve what was uh, my professional integrity. Um, and I think that led me to take the plunge of becoming an independent social worker, um, which um, sounded a little bit daunting at the time I took it felt right and I, I haven't looked back really um has been an interesting journey and one that has worked out very well for me really in in a lot of ways so um and sort of following several years in practice I'm now an independent social worker and and uh, you know looking to remain that way and 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 remaining in this kind of role for the foreseeable future really so that's really my journey the, so far
0: yeah you're the first independent social worker that we've had on the podcast really you're certainly not the first i've worked with i am um, i work alongside many independent social workers having worked in child protection for a number of years now i have obviously worked alongside many people such as yourself who've come on to support and specialist assessments that uh, the local authority i've been working for hasn't had the requisite training for. Or perhaps have taken over cases that have already been allocated to an independent social worker to undertake an assessment by virtue of the family courts. Let's just take it back a bit to something you said there that was quite interesting. We're going to get into that later when we sort of talk about relationship practice and, and so on. But that that decision you made, that you felt that the only way for you to practice in the way you wanted was to go independent that the only way for you to find the balance between your work life and personal life and to be the mother that your children needed you to be and the only way to practice without the constraints of budgetary constraints and council constraints was to become independent. Yes, you wouldn't be doing the same role, but you would then be in a role where you were freed from many of the shackles. Is that... A bit of a damning indictment on the state of frontline child protection, that people such as yourself, with a lot of experience and a lot of will to want to do the right work, are leaving for other roles because they are unable to practice in the way they want. What what does that say about the state of our profession, Rita? If you're forced to make that decision. Uh-oh.
1: You know, uh, social work So I feel very strongly there are some really chronic and systemic issues uh, with uh, with child protection as, as an umbrella term. Really, we're not just looking at perhaps the local authority, but in in general, really, um, and it's top down. It's uh, the way government perceive uh, our profession and uh, understand the issues that affect society and families, um, then that inform what policies are made and the policies are then passed down to local authorities and and all the systems the infrastructure that is put in place to safeguard children and, and ensure um, best outcomes for them. Um, so it, it's, it's very damning, yes. And I, I think along, you know, I'll, I'll go along with, you know, I'll... I'll agree with everything you said all the reasons um, were actually you captured those very well that led me to feel that if I you know I wanted to be the social worker that um, you know that that was able to do the best job um, she could and I could only do in that in in, in um, independent practice I think one of the things is I get a lot of satisfa- satisfaction now is being been able to uh, invest time and energy into a piece of work into an assessment in a way that I want to do it not rushing around not being told that you know I don't need to uh, see the child again I don't need to do a piece of direct work that if I can just hash something up from what we've got on file it will do I didn't want to do that so I want to take pride in, in in what I do and now you know the feedback I have particularly from the family court is that my reports are appreciated because I've had time to do them properly. I've had time. And when I actually finish a piece of work, I've proofread it, I PDF it, I send it, send it off to, to, to a barrister to be filed. Um, I I feel a sense of pride. I think I've, and, and it's not so much about, the sense of thinking, oh, aren't I great? You know, this really, really a complex assessment and it's well-written and all the rest. It's not about that at all. Um, I like that piece of work to be sort of read by the child, you know, 10 years, 15 years down the line when they come to have a look at their files and, and to feel that Uh, they read my report and thinking actually this person actually took a lot of time and effort and really understood my family understood me and I now know why I was adopted or so you know if you write Mm -hmm. a parenting assessment like in my case that's often what I do um, which says you know I, i'm not able to recommend that uh you know these parents are capable of caring for a child long term um it's such a significant uh turning point in a child's life um yeah. and i the legacy of that always used to weigh down on me quite heavily in frontline practice you know when you're doing rush pieces of work when you think um, i still have a number of doubts i don't have the time to go back and relook at particular uh, issue or doing enough observation that really um used to be um really really um uh, you know something that weighed heavily on me i don't have that anymore i, I just think actually i can uh, you know finish a piece of work and think uh, that's the best i could have done and i i feel that it's done the the child justice really i, I the voice of the child is there it, it promotes you know it does is driven by what this child needs without any sort of constraints or any politics or any uh, concerns about budgets or can we fund this is this the right thing to do um and it, it can be honest really it can be really mm-hmm. child centered that's so what we talked we talk about child-centred center practice all the time do we actually do it i'm not sure <laughs>
0: And yeah, it's so powerful what you've said there because it what you what you've said there is on the micro level of one individual such as yourself making a choice, but if we extrapolate that out under the macro level and on our system wide level, whilst people may not be making the exact decision you have, which is to go from frontline child protection into independent social work, that same driving force and those same combination of driving factors behind a decision is leading people to perhaps go into your route, but it's also leaving many people to go into different routes, to go into agency work, to step into different areas of social work, to go into private practice, to leave the profession entirely. Because many, many people feel shackled by the constraints of the systems that are around them. Uh, Many people feel that their profession is being resource led and not needs-led, now whether that's resources in terms of finance, which is the most obvious thing that we think of when we hear the term resource or perhaps resource in terms of time, and that seems to be the key resource you've spoken about there, Rita, and the difference is, is you didn't have the time to perhaps practice as you wanted to, whereas now it's on you to choose how you spend that time. What would you say is the difference in the quality when you give somebody, say, for example, let's just plug a figure out my head. If you give somebody 20 hours to do a parent assessment and you give somebody maybe 40 or 50 hours, which is what usually an independent social worker will tend to bail, what is the difference in terms of the quality of outcome? And I guess you can answer this from your own experience. So when you've been writing parent assessments, when you've been under the constraints that you have as a frontline social worker for a local authority, and when you're doing those same assessments as an independent, what's the difference in terms of the outcome? What's the difference in terms of the quality of the report? And what's the difference in terms of, most importantly, the parents and children who are impacted by that?
1: I would say... For me, the primary and most important difference is that the real focus on the child is really evident because um, I've had, you know, if you have higher number of hours, you're going to focus much more on engaging with the child, doing some, um, you know, bespoke work around their wishes and feelings. You're going to spend more time observing um, the interactions of the child with parents and the care of that child by the parents. That the quality it really is about um, really being able to focus on the child and and really just uh, you know make the right. Um, conclusions and and um, gather the right evidence to inform a professional judgment at the end of it um, there's no comparison really um, it it does um, I feel quite um, sad at times when I'm uh, you know asked to when I've, I've been asked to do complete and independent assessment as a part 25 application which uh you know a lot of your listeners will will know what that is but essentially when um, the children's guardian feels that the quality of perhaps a piece of work completed by local authorities is um, is not uh, a, um the required standard and a part 25 application for an expert um, assessment or independent assessment is made um, and there's always a starting point of uh, real severe criticism
0: yeah, you, you're totally right with what you say there because it it does it makes a, a massive, massive difference, and that time makes a massive difference. And I, I think you know, to give my employers, the local authorities I've worked for, some credit, I think I I, I can understand, I could understand why employers have to make have to make these choices because if the work comes in, you can't say no, you can't turn back a safeguard and referral but i always think to myself it is such it is such a silly choice to make because if you make poor quality assessments or not necessarily poor quality assessments you know it's unfair to say assessments are poor quality people got less time because people myself included are doing the best but if you don't get it right the first time you'll get re-referrals you'll get re-referrals you'll get re-referrals you might have parents having Repeated pregnancies, children repeatedly taken from their care. If you don't get things right with early intervention, you have people that then become reliant upon other services. So if you look at this as a purely transactional basis, which let's get this right, most employers and council departments will have to, that's the society we live in. It seems folly to me to not spend more money and ergo more time on early intervention and getting it right the first time because if you don't get it right the first time, the costs are insurmountably higher. So I, everything you're saying chimes with me and chimes with my experience as well. And then what it leads to is it does it. It leads to a sort of two-tier system. Um, let's come back to social work for yourself then, Rita. Um How are things like for you? Uh, at, at the moment in your area are you busy my friend have you got a lot of work on
1: it's uh i have a lot of <laughs> I'll work i'll take that a lot of work. <laughs> i have a lot of work um i'm i'm getting better at saying um i uh, say no or being honest with um uh, those who contact me and I, I, I you know i don't want to sound um uh like, you know that i luck uh, appreciation of, of yeah. being asked to do work which is fantastic um, but in all honesty I think is it's a combination of uh, the landscape um, uh, of social work at the moment lack like of resources within local authority the transient um, uh workforce and the high vacancies so all, all of those really quite um concerning uh, factors uh, lead to uh, the need or the greater need for independent social workers sort of work and 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 therefore I'm more than busy really so um from, from that point of view it's actually a very privileged and very um you know positive position to be in
0: um let's take this back a step my friend. And let's, let's, let's yeah, for, for those obviously, uh, many people like myself will have good insight into independent social work. But for those who don't, for those who haven't worked with independent social workers or our newer listeners who are students or just starting out in the profession, would you like to explain in layman's terms what an independent social worker is and what an independent social worker does?
1: Yes. Um, Effectively, an independent social worker is a self-employed practitioner. So you are not employed by anybody, whether it is a statutory agency or or third sector organisation or whoever else, whichever setting, education, health. Um, So you are commissioned uh, to complete um, specific pieces of work. And that um, happens in a number of ways. And I'm I'm conscious that my uh, my. Experience and certainly my, my description here is very UK based and UK focused Mm. Uh, but in essence um, you know independent social workers are uh, asked to do two types of work what I would describe as capacity work so when the local authority have doesn't have the resources or or for whatever reason which I'll explain in a moment decide that they want to bring in an external social worker to complete a piece of work Um, in that situation an independent social worker becomes an agent of the local authority for that particular piece of work typically but not exclusively it will be something like an assessment mm-hmm. so it's a, it's a sort of bespoke piece of work um, it could be a sibling assessment or an assessment of a connected carer or a parenting assessment that you asked to complete you're given a, a time frame you complete your piece of work and that sort of begins and ends your your relationship with the local authority on those bases the um the, the the increasing number of uh certainly requests that i'm receiving are from the family court um, yes. and that i alluded earlier on about the fact that in certain circumstances, whether um, it is felt by the parties or is, is uh, successfully challenged by one of the parties um, on behalf of a parent, that a piece of uh, you know an assessment uh, which the courts are relying on isn't isn't of a uh, the required standard. So at that point, the the courts can ask for um, uh, the um, an independent social worker to complete a piece of work under what is called a Part 25 application, which is something that the um, child's guardian makes to the court um, in that scenario you really are in entirely independent so uh, you're you navigating a completely different situation where you need to maintain uh, total and 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 complete distance from other professionals whilst you're undertaking your assessment, um, and that's the, the the true essence of uh, independent an independent social worker piece of work in that context is that to provide expertise to the family court and mm-hmm. assist uh, in, in, in assisting the judge to uh, to to come to a conclusion about the, uh, the you know the permanence of a child. So th- those essentially are the two routes to. to to, um, to the work that an independent social worker does. Um, and in, in all of that you are uh, often a lone worker you have to do some of the less interesting um, uh, you know aspect of your role will be to make sure that you have adequate insurance that you you know you look after your own personal safety that you are registered with the body that you you've got you've got everything that you would normally uh, as, you know expect and yes. be part and parcel of, of an employment contract and working for a local authority so all that sort of that's always, stripped out if you like of the role. Um and you're effectively still sort of managing all that yourself. Um mm-hmm. so with autonomy also comes greater responsibility in terms of that sense your your
0: Oh, you sound like Spider Man there. You know there's
1: absolutely. this is climbing up.
0: Film. Yeah, yeah. With great power yeah, comes Possibility, I like that. Absolutely. Are you, are, you, are you Spider Woman, reader? Is that is that what you're telling me? Uh, in
1: disguise, in disguise, in between other activities, in as a, as a way of of leisure of recreation, really. But you know, Spider Woman <laughs> is certainly one of them.
0: <laughs> I love it, my friend. Well, I am. You know, not only the first independent social work we've had on the show, but you you're certainly the first superhero we've had on the show. Um, c- coming back, coming back to the ISW model. What what works well about it, and and what are the struggles? What what I mean, you spoke a bit about what you enjoy about the role, but a bit more about that, what works well. But what, what do you struggle with? Do you struggle with the isolation and anything like that? Uh, uh,
1: struggle with the isolation. Um, you have to um, often you, you're dealing with uh, complexity uh, invariably. So um, quite rightly, in, in, in no, you know, no. Local authority is going to ask you to act as their agent on something that is very straightforward and they yes. could be completing themselves. So that's not going to happen. And, and likewise, when in a family court, um, uh, you know, the the, the representatives of, of uh, the children and and the parents come to a professional disagreement that usually is a sort of big, big sort of signal that, uh, you know, what they're looking at is really very complex. So you're working in in that arena of uh, really to deal with very, very complex situation and really um, meaty um, uh, assessments and pieces of work to complete. Uh, You're on your own. You need to uh, be mindful of arranging uh, professional supervision yourself oh, and making good. sure um, that
0: how do you how do you get your supervision then how does it work for you and as an ISW
1: um you um I, I've identified a uh practitioner uh whom I knew uh who has Greater experience is, is a senior manager now, uh, but uh, continues to supervise me on a monthly basis. And um, is really very important because you can, you know, you can become very isolated and have all this, um, as you know, sort of um, what we would we, normally engage in, which is that time for reflection and really yeah, yeah. Um, I'm picking, uh issues, um, particularly or complexity, that we would normally have the benefit of colleagues in an office, being part of a peer network work um you know having supervision having informal supervision with others um all that is sort of stripped out in the role and you know you need to make sure that your practice is as sharp as it needs to be and safe um so that you haven't sort of lost the edge in the, in in the, uh, the the complexity of what you're dealing with really so th- those are the struggles um on a very practical level um uh, some not to view that a share but nonetheless um, you know some of the independent social workers um, struggle with um, you know you're managing your own business of very very on a very simple and practical basis you're having to um, invoice um, yeah. uh, clients for for your work and manage that side of thing and do your tax return and all the rest of that um, some you know some social workers Feel that that's something that they, you know, that they they struggle to to maintain is, and is actually quite alien to what you come into the profession to do. So, um, I personally. I've adjusted to that quite easily um, and it's not been an issue um, but some of the um you know the, the support and the, the access to training and supervision and the isolation and 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 effectively you know you, you could be uh, and you're often completing not could be you're often completing uh community based assessments um in you know with with very very uh, tangible risks uh, um with um parents who uh, pose a risk to professionals and um, one of the things that I said earlier on uh, when you are asked to act as an agent of the local authority is not so much that the local authority doesn't have the um, uh, an available member of staff or an available social worker to complete the assessment uh, more often than not is linked to a breakdown in the relationship yes. between the, the family and, and the allocated social worker and the issues or risks where there is typically uh, a viable violent parent, male or female, Um, there could be a a violent or or aggressive number of family members around the family who are, you know, becoming quite, um, you know, present within the home and therefore you know, the local authorities quite rightly seeking to protect their own staff and not wanting, uh, you know, that, that sort of those kind of experiences to, um, to, to impact on the well-being of their staff. And, and therefore, the, the, you know, the most obvious solution is to um, ask an independent social worker to step in to shield their own team from that level of aggression and risk, really. So that's, that's something to
0: consider as well. And how does that feel, Rita? Because all, all, all you get, as you said earlier, in terms of complexity, you step in at a time when things are at their most difficult and precarious. You step in during court proceedings. And inevitably, as you've said there, the drivers behind appointing an independent social worker in court proceedings. Uh, 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 usually because something has gone significantly wrong. Either there's been a change of social worker, a social worker has delivered an assessment which the court and guardian haven't accepted, there has been a complete breakdown of relationship, or the assessment needed is so specialist that the local authority does not have anybody with capacity or with relevant experience to undertake such a specialised assessment. How do you adjust to only seeing that very sharp high end of social work, because you, you don't have any of the, the, very little of the lower end cases that you'll see. How, how do you adjust to only ever dealing with the most extreme cases?
1: I, I think the, uh, you know, that sort of... Um the supporting factor in all this is that as an independent social worker, the the number of cases you're dealing with at any given time is very low. There's no comparison with what would be your your average case load for for a social worker in practice. So uh, typically I might have five or six um, families I'm working with at any given time. So um, there is a degree of respite and a degree of um, shielding from uh, having low numbers. Um, also, coupled with the fact that you are in the fortunate position of being able to to take uh, to have a break really between yes. assessments, if you so choose. So, you know, typically, I, you know, I think one of the things that feels relentless and heavy and really quite, um, uh, you know. Difficult for for colleagues, you know, for colleagues out there in front line, is that there is no break, there is no let up. Yes. Sometimes you you just closed the case, or, or you know, you you finished a, a set of care proceedings, and you've got another three allocated that week. So there is no
0: time. <laughs> tell me about my yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, no, there is no, there is no sort of it's yeah. that churn, is that continuous sort of sense of like you're on a hamster wheel constantly. Yeah. Um, as an independent social worker. I'm you know open enough to the fact that uh, the, the, the the pay uh, and and what you earn is uh, advantageous compared to colleagues in, in frontline, which afforded the a time to think actually I've you know I've dealt with a really, really complex case. I'm actually emotionally drained. Mm. Um, I will I would turn down you know if I'm approached or you know if I'm sort of asked to do some work in the next couple of weeks, I will decline knowing that uh, you build sufficient reputation for that yes. not to become an issue at a later stage. So I do have the luxury to pause, really, um, which I'm very conscious is not the case for others. So it's a combination of low numbers, and combination of the ability to take a, a break, uh, where you think, uh, actually, for the next two weeks, I'm not going to take you work. That means I've got some extra le- leisure time and I'm going to go hashing or do whatever I want to do, really. Um, so I have that. on on, you know it it, you know my favor really as a a sort of string to my bow really to recover yeah
0: so it's it's this the reason you were able to handle that is essentially because it's a lower case load and knowing yourself not taking on too much work and knowing what you can and can't handle um does it take a different mindset to crossover? And the reason I talk about crossover is I I don't want to portray an us versus them culture. Uh, and and I, I try to avoid it as much as possible. And don't get me wrong, I've, <laughs> I've had plenty of disagreements of independent social workers. I've had plenty of disagreements of guardians, equally. I've had plenty of disagreements with people in my own field of work and people in different fields of works. It's about how you handle those things. So I'm certainly not wanting to pitch any sort of us-versus-them culture, which, let's be honest with you, that does exist out there. Whilst me or you may not wish to perpetrate that, there is some animosity out there. So being mindful of the difficulties that can sometimes exist between independent workers, court appointed guardians and local authority social workers did you find that you had to develop a mindset or perhaps shift your way of thinking to cross over from being on one side to being on the other side
1: that invariably there needs to be a mindset yes. shift in order to for you to fulfill the role that you you are fulfilling yeah. you're in the you're, you know you're in a different position I think the Biggest one for me is one where you can um, stop, you can shred all the other. Uh, You know all the various layers of consideration that you have in the local authority about, or you know, I I know that the senior manager wants to agree to this, or the agency decision maker is not going to like that, or whatever, whatever. You know, you can actually leave all that behind, um, and you can strip it right back, or you can't. You know, you don't have the layer of I've got too much work to do. I'm not going to be able to fit this in, etc., etc. So you can actually the mindset is very much like. Let's just take it down to what really matters is mm-hmm. the child. So um, you know, this the, you know, this is the court bundle. I've read it. Uh, I need to find in this sort of absolutely mountain of information. I need to sort of peel it all off and yeah. find the child at the bottom of it and just bring bring that, you know, bring the child out into the 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 court, you know, the the, the actual center of what I'm doing. Yeah. So that's the first, you know, you can just breathe sight of really thinking. None of the politics, none of the resources, none of yes. the squabbles between professionals, none of the, um, uh, you know, the allocated search workers are, are around with the Guardian and the managers getting involved in sort of an email battle. None of that applies to me anymore. I'm just there. I'm just going to look at this information. I'm going to give it my absolutely... Um, it, giving my best in terms of my knowledge I can I can go on researching practice and do some further research if I need to in terms yes. of looking at the evidence base and and th- that's one of the mindsets really that for me was liberating and the, and the second one really is I need to think really at disregarding um, any other consideration that might just detract me for what I need to do so uh, it's thinking I, I you know I'm a, a pre- Practitioner working um, in my own right um, without any of the constraints um, uh, in terms of professional judgments, opinions, ways of looking at it. I can actually, you know, be the professional I want to be mm-hmm. um, and and just really, you know, have positive relationships with other professionals. But actually, not honestly, they're not the focus anymore, um, insofar as, um, you know, disagreements with others uh, don't really. D- I do not become so consuming and don't have yes. any prevalence in your day-to-day life um so it's quite liberating really uh, that's my experience of it i'm sure that there are many other views uh right out there and and and, uh, and the listeners um perhaps listening to this podcast will probably say well actually it's not as straightforward as that that has been my experience anyway or what cross it means to me
0: um how do the families react differently to you? And and this is something I've always wanted to ask, um, because the most important people in all of this, as you've said yourself several times, are the children and, and, and then the parents that are being assessed if we take a traditional independent task, which would be undertaken, a parent assessment or maybe a specialist parent assessments such as PAMS and so forth. How how have you found parents, have parents reacted differently to when you've come in and said, right, now I'm doing this, I'm I'm independent? Have you noticed a different reaction than you did when you were a local authority social worker?
1: There's definitely, a a the, the terms of engagement are different from the very, first time you make that call to say you know i'm rita i'm I'm the independent social worker the the, you know the the, the reaction that you get is oh this is great i can't wait to speak with you that's invariably the case which you never get in practice of course um that's certainly not the, the the chosen words that you are often greeted with um so there is a sense of Oh, here is my chance of someone who's independent, someone who's not um, corrupt, or, uh, you know, that these are the words that some of the, uh, the family have come across use, you know, someone who's not um, biased, malicious, corrupt, whatever the, the, you know, the sort of uh, negative inference might be uh, that they are, that are attached to the allocated social worker, and the manager and the local authority. Um, and this is someone who can uh, perhaps, um, you know, give me that opportunity to uh, present my ability as a parent in a, in a, in a fairer light than, than, than has happened in the past. Someone mm-hmm. who doesn't hold a grudge, who hasn't got it in for me. All of those sort of concepts really um, come out when you uh, go and meet the family. So in that sense, Certainly, um, at the start of the engagement, certainly, or halfway through, um, as you begin to give feedback to the parents, that relationship could change, and often does when you actually have to. And I, I feel very strongly. Uh, in my practice that being open and honest with people it's absolutely fundamental to me yes. um, I have to have those you know those very um, you know key conversation um, you know the, the, the conversations that are difficult from right from the beginning because I, I I definitely would not want to get to a situation where I'm feeding back before mm. I'm, I'm about to write up a report with a parent feeling that uh, they certainly had, hadn't had any sense of where the assessment was going so initially that that's that relationship is very positive that might change at the end if of course the the outcome of the assessment is not what the parents would wish um to be
0: and let's get real on this reader and, and let's tell it as it is if i well i am a parent but so so if if you know if i was a parent whose children were taken from my care and i was being assessed regarding my parenting I would quite rightly have a hell of a lot of questions about the validity and fairness of the same social worker who deemed that I was such a risk that they had grounds to issue proceedings being the same social worker that was there then assessing my parenting because Yes, look, I know, and I've been in the position myself as a social worker where children have been taken from somebody's care either under Section 20, voluntary, or either uh, under a care order, an interim care order. I've been in several situations, but well, many situations actually, where you've gone to that position. Parents have made the changes, and it's been a positive parent assessment. But equally, if I was if, if I was that parent in that situation, I would be questioned. I'm sure many people do. Well, how can this be a fair assessment if I'm being assessed by the very same social worker who is who made the decision? that I wasn't fit to care for my children. That's a fair question to ask, isn't it? I know our system's set up like that, but if we take a step back and look at that objectively, there there are several flaws with that system, aren't there, Rita, where the same social worker who was undertaking an assessment of your parenting is also the very same social worker who deemed that you were such a risk that children have be taken from your care on a, a short-term basis while the assessment was taken. There are lots of flaws to pick with that system, aren't there?
1: There are, uh, without a doubt. Uh, and I think the important uh, and the, the critical importance of that, the outcome of that parenting assessment determines what happens next effectively, yes, yes. Um, not in isolation. I, I, I don't want to be, uh, you know, reductionist on, on this point by saying this is the critical piece of work because, uh, that, you know, as, as we all know um care proceedings are informed by uh, uh, you know a number of different assessments yeah. and considerations, particularly when parents have complex um needs and there might there might be a psychiatric assessment psychological assessment and so on yeah. um but the, the reality is it's su- such a, a critical stage uh when uh you know that there's an assessed need to um really dest- you know, evaluate parenting capacity. Mm-hmm. That uh, quite rightly the parent is thinking, well, I want some, you know, want this to be right. And if the starting point is, actually, there were flaws in, and there were, um, you know, faults and and issues and and really some poor practice by the the, the practitioner who uh, did that. I pose the risk to my children, yeah. how confident do I feel that the same level of, you know, the same sort of lacking in 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 sort of ability or whatever might have been they feel the motivation to have been of the the, the social worker to get reach that conclusion, how confident do I feel that, that the same is not going to happen yeah. in, in a parenting assessment? That's, you know, a very valid point.
0: And I don't think you, you can't criticise people, and I think... I think a lot of time in social work I've heard of the people speaking about parents in a certain way and I've certainly seen many people in social work making comments on social media speaking about parents in a certain way that they there is this perception amongst some people in our profession that parents being difficult if they're making complaints or if they are asking questions like we have just then about the validity or the fairness or potential bias within assessments. And I always think to myself, and when I get a chance, I say to people that are making those assumptions and saying those things, I would say, well, what would you do if it was your child? Would you not be exactly the same? And people are like, yeah, I would. I say, well, you cannot... You cannot accuse people of being difficult or being aggressive or being unruly just for questioning your decisions or making complaints about them, that's a human right. Yes, of course, if people cross over to the point where they're uh, being physically aggressive or offensive or threatening, of course that's wrong, but just by challenging alone, and, and, and a lot of time I'm sat with parents when I'm doing assessments or working with them, and they'll get upset and they'll get angry, and then they might say to me, oh, I'm sorry, is that going to look bad against me? And i say, no. If anything, that's a positive, because it shows you care. I am far more worried in concerned when people don't show emotion, because this either shows people perhaps don't care, or people uh, are very very scared and are not going to be open and honest. you know you can deal with honesty, it's very hard to assess and to make a plan to deal with dishonesty or people not being open. But either way, it's obviously terribly terribly hard. Um, let's move on. Let's move on to talking about the wider picture, my friend. Um, and how do we, we talked there about, you know, having more time and we've also spoken about the difficulties of dealing with the high-end cases, the high-end situation and the high-level risks that you've discussed that you inevitably tend to become involved with more often given the nature of you as an independent social worker. How do we balance that managing risk with family-focused work and retail? Because it's a finite balance, isn't it, between tr- judging risks that are so severe that children need to be placed elsewhere, perhaps short-term, perhaps permanently, between wanting to work with families and address those problems. How do we find that balance? Can you find that balance?
1: It's 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 certainly challenging, and I think there's a lot um, of um, you know social work. Uh, you know, there's the, a the lot of Britain by uh by educators about that sort of fine balance between care and control i think it's yes. something that we're, we're vastly aware of really um we often talk about it it's difficult um ultimately when i sort of lose my balance when i feel i'm i'm wobbling in between um i do sort of refocus myself by thinking Okay, where is the child in all this? Um, yes. You know, let's look. Let's go back to that center point of safeguarding, and thinking: Is this, uh, you know, proportionate sort of risk management, yes. or am I feeling is something worrying me that is, uh, you know, is, is making me lean towards being risk adverse? And what is that? What is that pointing to? Um, and uh, you know, where is the fine line between, uh, you know? Really working, uh, you know, to support the family holistically, and then becoming very, very yes. focused on the on the adult needs. Um, and, and you know, some of the themes that are coming through at the moment, I think I picked up one that. Um, Recently, was you know, but being mindful of um, that, a lot of our parents are vulnerable, and they've developed maladaptive coping strategies over the years, which do include, you know, the grooming of professionals. A lot, a lot of people tend to try and, and uh, obfuscate, and then tend to try and elicit sympathy and and uh, and, and siding of, of of a social worker to in order to deflect from the attention of what is going on in the home. So. Um, you know it's it's carefully calibrating all of that uh, and and being uh, you know and when you're feeling because i think as professionals we know when we are in slightly in one way or the other, you know, are, are we feeling, you know, this disurged control and, and, what, and is that proportionate and right and, and fair uh, mm. or are we sort of doing too much of the care and perhaps around the adults um, and I think is sort of going back to, to the centre point to the child and, and really we're looking at what safeguarding is, is required here and, and what are the, the long-term outcomes of this child and, and sort of, you know, in a way that is perhaps grounds you back to where you need to be but it's inevitably really really difficult um i i i found that i think most of us have a degree of bias really there are certain uh issues about adults that uh, have a pull for us uh you know i i struggle i would say openly for me as parents with learning disabilities yes i i you know I, the I think one of the hardest thing I've, I've ever been involved in um, and still now um, is, you know, it's a time difficult and, and uncomfortable. I will say uncomfortable. is making a decision that is about a child not being able to, um, being safe and not not really, uh, you know, not really um, right for that child to um, to find permanence for parents who are learning disabilities where the motivation is incredibly high um, and and the abilities is really uh, insufficient so that sits very uncomfortably so in the same way sometimes when we are working with family, We tend to uh, want to support um, and and sometimes there are certain needs um, of of within adults and parents that really um, uh, you know that we're drawn to that that we feel um, much more attuned to um, and sometimes that can really um, you know offset what we where we need to be as as you know uh, safe you know as, as children's practitioners really.
0: you're right it it can be hard and it was something I struggled with more in the early stages of my career that difference between being friendly and being somebody's friend because you need to be friendly and and I, I, uh, I was advised very early on in my career by one of my first colleagues Naomi god this is going back over eight years now in she said to me, cause she could see that I was trying to be everyone's friend. She says, look, you can't be that. She says, I, I tried to be everybody's friend and I got in a situation where I was stung and she went kind of the opposite way. She became very cold and not necessarily cold, but very formal, let's say very formal, very professional. And she was a very, very different person in the office around colleagues than she was with clients. And I thought, that's not really me. I I would struggle going to work every single day and pretending to be somebody that I wasn't. I would struggle and I just wouldn't find work enjoyable. If I had to go to work and put on a show, I I would struggle to enjoy my job and I don't think I would have lasted. Of course, you you need to show a different side of your character and you need to restrain certain sides of your character. But what I tried my best to do was to find that balance between still being myself, but being the social work version of if me, if that, if, that, if that makes sense, Rita. Yeah. I, <laughs> and that I learned, know. I learned to get there eventually to be, to be friendly, but to not be someone's friend. And and, and sometimes I think some some clients that I work with do uh, sometimes take it a bit too far and think that I am my friend, and I will sometimes have to. I very rarely have to tell people specifically. Look at, at you know you you've got to you can't be talking to me like that. You can't be sort of texting me like that and so on. But most of the time, you can just sort of rain you know rain people back in and take them back on topic and so on. But you, you, it's a skill. It is. I found it's a skill to learn to be friendly, but for not to have that get to the point where somebody thinks you are. Their friend, and I'm grateful to my clients. I've learned so much from the clients that I've supported from parents and children, mostly parents, given they've been adults. I'm very grateful that I've been able to be involved and to learn from so many people. I really have taken so much from the people I've worked with in social work. I'm incredibly valued that I've been in that uh, position, that valued, privileged position. I'm going to ask you this question, Rita. and the reason I'm going to ask you this question is I just want your views on it because it's so hard to define. So just some context to this for our international listeners and perhaps our newly qualified social workers and students. In child protection social work, which is what myself and Rita work in, the defining line the sort of threshold for parenting is good enough that's the term that's used a lot of the time in court is is this parenting good enough and that's the term good enough and that with the reason that term good enough has come about is because what you used to find traditionally is you used to find a lot of parenting assessments which came from a specific biased agenda of that social worker or that local authority's culture. So, parenting, all parents were kind of held up to a barrier that was what the council or what the assessing social worker believed was an acceptable level of parenting. There was a shift from the family courts around six, seven years ago, which moved towards, no, with parenting that has to be good enough. Not good enough by the social worker's views, not good enough by the council's views, but is that parenting good enough for that child? So that's the context of the question I'm about to ask Rita. Rita, you've had enough time to think of the answer now, my friend. Um, Gosh. Yeah, it's a difficult one. Um, I'll have a go too, to make it fair. (laughs) How do you define parenting that is good enough and how do you take off your hat as a parent and put on your hand as an ind- hat on as an independent social worker and try to work out what is good enough for that child whose parents you are working with and assessing oh
1: goodness what a question eh um <laughs> I, 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 well I'm grateful for the preamble um social work yeah, yeah. tutor because that's given me a little bit of thinking time um, So. Um, I'll say, you know good enough parenting as a, as a sort of concept, um, it's certainly, um, bear in mind for it really, um, there's a lot written Britain, you know, that, that, that the listeners will probably be familiar with, if not, um, you know, if you've got a spare, you know, sort of rainy afternoon on a Sunday, um, Google it and, uh, and you find that um, it is a very sort of complex and at times malign sort of, um, uh, sort of abstract idea what, what, um, uh, of parenting really. I think, from from my sort of recollection, I, I think it came from it. It's an 1950s phrase, isn't it? Um, which uh, comes from psychology, um, which is um, you know someone called Dr. Winnicott in, uh, came up with. Um, and there's a lot so I've been listening to programs. I actually stumbled across a program on Radio Four saying um, "good enough" is actually all that you need to do. And yes. and, and psychologists saying, uh, really, uh, you know, this. Uh, you know, this very sort of, um, you know, women's magazine concept of helicopter parenting versus lifeguard parenting. So are we all doing too much to, uh, you know, support our children and not really building enough resilience uh, for them when they're old? So in, in amongst all that, There is a social work concept, as as you correctly um, Mm. pointed out, of saying, you know, what what is it that we uh, need as professionals can fairly uh, and and justifiably consider to be minimal parenting competence? What is reasonable parenting? Um, And that sometimes is uh, becomes very blurred because, um, uh, you know, professional judgments about parents are made by individuals we're all human beings we all have bias and, and personal values so we need to be very careful that those then become you know the, the, the focus don't become really the basis on which we look at and consider the parenting of others really um, so it's a really really sort of you know it, it's, a, it's a really complex sort of um uh, arena to sort of Consider, all you know, in in its entirety, Um, and of course, as as you know, the the sort of um, the the family court uh, over the years has has really very much uh, criticised social workers for having unrealistic views. You know, we have aspirations that you know everybody has, and I think for the one that stood out for me, um, which was the first time, I think uh, I I was really introduced to the concept of social engineering, really, um, when a barrister read out in court. Uh, a famous or infamous, whichever side of the argument you you stand on, um, of, uh, you've come across probably so such sure do the Miss um, Justice Headley statement in two thousand and seven. Uh, you know that the society must be willing to tolerate yes. the mode of our standards of parenting etc etc so uh, in in amongst all that it's really um, for me is to narrow it down to to uh, to some of the concepts that are easy for me to to keep at the forefront of my mind when I work with with parents really um, for some professionals and, and some of the reading and evidence-based um, uh, you know practice um, if we're trying to narrow down a uh, good enough parenting uh, sometimes we, we come across um, a, a, a concept which is about um, having four four key elements to it which is uh, love fundamentally care and commitment um, having consistent uh, limit setting and then facilitating development those are the sort of four Four areas, if you like it, the textbook answer to what is good enough parenting. For me, on a very minimal level, um, really. If when I think when I strip it back and I, how I make sense of it is, I think about um, parenting that provides unconditional love and affection, mm-hmm. um, and that meets the child's most basic needs. You know, uh, for example, food, um, safety, and, uh, and physical care. Those are the things that really, when I strip it back, are I, I, uh, my go-to concepts. Really, when I uh, when I think of good enough parenting.
0: Just to go over. Um, so yeah, the, the the comments made by. Judge Headley in 2007 were society must be willing to tolerate very diverse standards of parenting, including the eccentric, the barely adequate and the inconsistent. It follows too that children will inevitably have both very different experience of parenting and very unequal consequences flowing from it. It means that some children will experience disadvantage and harm while others flourish in atmospheres of loving security and emotional stability. These are the consequences of our fallible humanity, and it is not the provenance of the state to spare children all the consequences of defective parenting. In any event, it simply could not be done." So those words, Rita, those words are uttered and, and, and written out, in an order which was real care threshold criteria and that was 14 years ago now and i think we still do not we still we're still a long way from living by that because i i have found that the threshold for good enough parenting still to this day varies very, very widely. And I'm sure you will see this as well in the cases that are brought before court. And, and I see that thresholds differ widely between social workers and most of our listeners who are practicing will have been in this situation themselves, where they will have picked up cases from a previous social workman. and thought, geez, this is completely wrong. We are at a threshold where we shouldn't be. They shouldn't have got to this point or equally the other way around. Why wasn't this escalated? Things are so risky. And On the other side, there'll be many times when myself and other social workers have left for new positions or different local authorities have been promoted or taken a break cases have been passed over to a new social worker. They've taken them in a different route and they've looked at us and said, what was that social worker thinking? So it is very, very subjective. And, I, and when I think about good, good enough parenting, I said I would help you out. So I'm gonna have to have a chance here, Rita, because it's very unfair of me to ask you a very difficult question and then not have a go myself. When I think about good enough parenting, I, I tend to come from a basis of that child's peers. And what I mean by that is, as Judge Hedley said, society is, is, is fallible. Humanity is fallible. We do not live in an equal society. So it is very difficult, I think, for us to expect children that are born into certain circumstances in certain areas of society and have certain means to be guaranteed the same life chances as children born into other areas of society, other communities, and to different parents. And whilst, of course, we want to live by the Every Child Matters rules and aspirations, even though they haven't really been a thing for about a decade now, we want to have the highest hopes for every single child. I always keep in mind that the social... The social work role is not to parent by proxy. The social work role is to step in and intervene at times of extreme need and extreme risk and extreme harm for children. And it is impossible for us to parent by proxy and to give the children who come upon our radar the same life chances if they live in a lower socioeconomic group, and are born to a single-parent family as children who are born to two parents and live with two parents and who are born into an affluent background. Now of course we want what's best and we have to strive for what's best and every child should matter and every child should have the accessibility to equal services through universal services, health services, education services. but. It is impossible to parent by proxy. And that's what I always keep in mind that, and I'll tell you what's one of the most heartbreaking parts of my role, Rita, and you may be the same. It it took me a long time to live with the fact that there are many times where I've wanted more for parents' children than their own parents have wanted for them. And it's horrible, it's damning, it's a damning indictment and it's a horrible thing to have to say that because I know how that may come across, but I have to be honest with my opinions, I have been in many situations like that and that's where I've had to change my concept of what is good enough, that whilst of course I would want every child I supported as a social worker to have the same care that I can afford my children, other parents do not have that ability do not have that drive do not have that background where they are able to do that and it can be hard to learn that can't it Richard? or have i got it wrong am i cruel for admitting that
1: no uh, i couldn't agree more uh, it's just uh um, i don't know um almost like a a right of passage as a social worker really in child protection when you have to come to terms with that i find that um uh you know that that statement by um judge headley uh, is very grounding really yes. um uh, and you know it takes you right down to where you need to be yes. um and, and accept that society um is organic isn't it is unequal um and i've been many times you know, worked with with families and, and and children many times where I know the outcomes for their children are not going to be great. They're not going to be the ones that I would aspire for the child for. Um, but actually, they're good enough. Um, and 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 also there is a sense of. Um, Real importance about identity and about being rooted within your family and being part of a family group um, that sometimes we discount. We want, we almost want uh, to, to to reinvent a setting for a child and, and for that child to really flourish in a way that we have aspirations for them to to do. Um, but actually, that's really um, ethically and morally um, not right but also difficult to walk away from knowing that that child is not going to perhaps achieve um, uh, their full potential in life, but it's going to be good enough care until they they, they reach the age of 18. And that's the best we can hope for.
0: Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm glad you've said that. I'm glad you've said that that's a position you've been in yourself because it, it is hard. It is hard because I think if you go the other way, if you go the other way and say, right, this is what I would do for my children, or this is what I had done to me as a child, and therefore I want that for other people. Then you you can't because every everybody's everybody's good enough is different. Everybody's ex- outstanding and exceptional is different. Equally, everybody's abuse and neglect is is different and it comes back to what we were saying at the start of our conversation. today, my friend, I I wouldn't tolerate the parenting that I had exacted on me as a child with any of the children I've ever supported as a social worker. I wouldn't, if I saw what happened to me as a child, then I wouldn't allow that child to still be in those conditions and so that it works both ways so you, you can say well actually what happened to me wasn't good enough equally you might say well what i've done to my children isn't good enough if you're in that position god forbid i've never been in a position where i've had to expose my children to any of the things that happened to me as a child and it, but it is it, it is difficult to get to that good enough and it does take some time because you come into social work Wanting to save the world, you want to save everybody, but then you have to get back to what is good enough. And I think it's the objectivity, and for me, it's looking at it from that peer and societal. What what is the norm and what is the standard in that child's society? And is it realistic for us to expect any better than that child's friends, families, peers, and school children are getting? Um Let's talk about a little bit relationships. We'll end on this point, my friend. So you spoke earlier when I asked you about how parents react differently to your role as an independent, being independent from the local authority. And you said immediately there is a sense of freedom, a lack of that they perceive a lack of bias, and they perceive more fairness and parity coming from yourself as an independent. How do you think we can perhaps take that non-adversarial culture, that sort of fairness and parity and that notion of impartiality, how do you think we can perhaps take some of that and apply it to social work in general? Is there anything you think local authorities, social workers can do or local authorities themselves can do for their social workers to help To help move away from that us versus them and towards a more relational and systemic practice model?
1: That's a very good point, and one that in my my sort of travels, I often think about uh, and I think for me it's stripping it back to the very beginning really um, and we, we we say it all the time I, I don't think is what I'm about to say is going to be uh, you know in any way innovative or all new but I um, wh- I think he's considering very much uh, how we equip um, social workers in terms of their training. Um, you, you know, we, we say time and time again, do we actually spend any time on, on you know, uh, systemic practice uh, uh, or do we just talk about relational um, uh, relation, You know, relational uh, skills, you know, communication skills, how we uh, connect with others, and how we uh, we, we try and, and sort of establish rapport with 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 the parents and family members we work with. Um, I'm not sure that we do enough of that uh, at the point of entry to the profession in terms of training. Um, ASYE, as a you know, the next stage up, certainly in the UK, um, is the um, assess and supported year in employment. Your first year in practice do, do we cover that do we do, do we mm. give uh you know do we offer um uh, newly qualified social workers uh, any any sort of relevant development around that um to the best of my knowledge and i'm still involved in um you know ASY um uh, tra- training and development uh, not we don't um the I, th- I think the other the other point for me is that we, we can't sort of really um we can't overlook the the elephant in the room really um we need to consider the uh, the some of the constraints are very much around we we need to go back to very simple things are considering having Uh, giving practitioners um, enough time to really to have, uh, to invest in relationships are about time and about emotional investment and about availability, both physical and emotional of, of the social worker, Um, you know, I'd I, I say an unnamed local authority here and now today. I heard that uh, there are social workers in a team with um, a caseload of 50 children, well, with the best wheel in the world. <laughs> you know, that, that sort of being able to get alongside people and have the conversations that count, um, I'm, I'm not sure is going to happen until we have a little bit of a relief around that. And um, I, I think sometimes it's probably looking to. Very simple things about what, how can managers and teams support each other and and create a sort of a peer support culture that sort of enables the practitioners to perhaps um, consider how uh, we relate to others and have a much more. Uh, much greater focus on relational practice. That's probably on a very mic- micro level what can be done um, whilst not denying, but not wanting to be constrained entirely uh, by by systemic issues. Um, but being realistic, that's the best that can be achieved uh, in, in the here and now, in my opinion, as much as I want to give a much more positive answer than that. I'm, I'm trying to be realistic, but also um, maybe have a little snippet of aspirational thinking in that.
0: Mm, it's, you know, it's an interesting point you make there. Well, the several points you make there, because it's where where do you start with this? Do you start with training social workers, or do you start with train, training the system? And the reason I say that is, think about it from from my perspective, and you know, I've, I've learnt... I've learned to do everything that I can to avoid that us versus them. And to to always say to my clients and to live this as well, it's not me versus you, it's me and you versus the issue. It's me and you versus the problem. And getting into sure. that mindset, it is has taken me some time. Because sometimes it can feel like you and client together versus the system and you said it earlier you said it earlier one of the most refreshing parts of your job is no longer having to work within the frame of what an independent reviewing officer has advised you or what a senior manager service manager advised you or what your manager has advised you or what a health visitor keeps forcing you to do because they've got certain thresholds and they believe a child is unsafe, but you're quite happy to manage that. You're free from that. But working the child protection one, frontline child protection, as I continue to do, you're not free from that. And sometimes it can feel like a significant battle. And everyone, you know, perhaps 20 people, if you look at a complex set of proceedings, you know, you've perhaps got 20 different people involved in giving a view. It can be incredibly difficult to strip that away and say right it, it's, it's me and you versus the problem it can be hard to move on from that adversarial culture so whilst on the one hand I, I don't want to dispute or disagree with what you've said there Rita training social workers at an early stage in that systemic and relational practice model is of course necessary my feeling would be that no matter how much I am trained if you give me 30 cases, which I've been on for the majority of my social work career, if you give me 30 cases and you only give me a certain number of hours to do the work and if you set deadlines expecting this work to be done by a certain date well, regardless of how relational I am, regardless of how systemic I am, I'll only have a certain number of hours that I can have contact with that family. I can be the best social worker in the world. I can be the best trained social worker in the world. But if I have only got eight hours, it's a struggle. So can you see my point, Rita, which is potentially, well, with all the training in the world, won't necessarily change much for me at all if I don't have a low caseload.
1: Yes, I agree. Um, training is very much an aspirational point of saying, you know, if we start off by having the, uh, you know, the, the highest level of skill within our workforce, then it's a good starting point. However, it just uh, then then for the same workforce to enter a system to be part of a system that has, uh, you know, you know, is flawed and isn't isn't really geared. Towards um, achieving uh, positive relationships with families, simply because there isn't the time, then it it all falls down, and it makes sense where you're you're coming from for sure.
0: And this is where it all comes to it. it all comes to working together. I think when you because if, if you have a combined approach where everybody's pulling together, service user groups, those that represent children, local authorities social workers themselves universities the government i don't think there's anybody out there who wouldn't say they all have the same goal which is what's best for children everybody wants what's best for children it's just everybody has a different notion of what's best for children and and i think coming back to that that the potential clashes and I don't want to end on an argument but I'm going to I'm going to attempt to end on an argument anyway my friend let's try let's try and do our, let's try and do our best to avoid it um, by what I'm about to say I'll try to make this not too controversially not too controversial when I am sometimes in the family court arena Let's, let's remove me from this to make it even less controversial. And social workers are sometimes in the family court arena. Social workers who are in family courts can sometimes feel personally criticised when a court-appointed children's guardian or an independent social worker perhaps make suggestions that could be perceived as critical of the local authority when that social worker in the court arena has done everything they could in the time they were given. Have I explained that in a passive enough way that hasn't offended you? Can you see where I'm coming from?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, yes, and I will sign up to it every time. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, uh, some of the difficulties I face is being uh, often placed in a position where uh, whichever party decides to cross-examine me um, and, and is intent on uh, really highlighting the deficient work of, another, of a search worker in front-line practice. And I, I genuinely We'll never do that. Um, I would generally answer the question to the, the, you know, to the best of my professional knowledge and with integrity, um, while saying actually we're not comparing like we like. Um, you know, the opportunity that I've had to complete this piece of work is different to uh, to do uh, what frontline practice was dealing with in terms of the complexity and some of the critical incidents that were happening. So yes, <laughs> it's a very, very fair point to uh, to bring up and say there is a difference and um, there is a lot of professional I'd like to think that I've retained sufficient professional empathy to um, certainly never feel in any shape or form um, uh, superior or or thinking uh, anti-fantastic if if everybody in frontline practice could be like me because it's not the same and I will very humbly say that every time I I, I go to a local authority and I'm asked to to rescue whatever yeah. using their language or I'm, I'm told you know what what do you think about this parenting assessment you know what could we have done differently can you do something else and I will say in the time that it was given to this social worker I'd be interested to know what time they were given and what support yes. and what supervision they were given um, and I will say actually it's an adequate piece of work and with, with the right time it would have been probably excellent because yes. um, fundamentally I am Absolutely convinced that the, the, the vast majority, and this is how I feel really genuinely, of social workers going to work wanting to do a good piece of work each time, yeah. whatever that piece of work is, want to go out and do a meaningful visit where they do direct work with a child and, and, and 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 you know, really engage on a, on a very, want to have that meaningful conversation with with a parent that actually uh you know generates some thinking for that parent to towards and, and gear it gearing up towards change um i think fundamentally that's why uh, I, I will i will say i will go as far as say each and every one of us and the profession because we really wanted to do a good job um but you know uh, yeah that uh, that's really um, why I, I definitely wouldn't position myself, and I, I've never positioned myself. And I, you know, I like to think that I will retain this very sort of humble and realistic um, uh, view of, uh, you know, uh, who I am and how I fit in and the privileged position I'm in of being able to invest the right time in a piece of work um, mm-hmm. uh, and understanding that actually the constraints of practice are significant, uh, yeah. and there are, you know, uh, and likewise. I'll come across many times pieces of work by frontline social workers, and I'm thinking this is really a fantastic piece of work. How on earth has this colleague uh, managed to to do this in 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 a lot absolutely um, unrealistic, um, you know, professional world that they live in? So I'm very, oh, often very humbled by my colleagues who are are left behind, who I've trained with, and have stuck it out, and they're still out there doing it. Who do Great pieces of work in in very very difficult circumstances.
0: Couldn't say it better myself, my friend. I, I, yeah, I, and I that that that's exactly that's exactly what more where I've seen it done well it's come from that place of empathy that you've suggested there it's come from yes people of, of course people have to make criticisms if people have seen issues you wouldn't be doing your job when you wouldn't be in your position and neither would court appointing guardians and neither would judges if they didn't point out things that were objectively not good enough that were mistakes or, or matters that resulted in drift for children people wouldn't be doing the job however if criticism comes in the form you've delivered it that's fine you I can take that on the chin. So actually, we're not, we weren't using me in this position. Social workers, we were using me all we. Social workers can take that on the chin. If, if, if it's phrased in a manner which is understanding of the constraints that social worker had and not pitting like for like, because if many social workers had only five assessments on the goal, five families to work with at one time, they could perhaps I wouldn't say they would definitely do assessments of your ability because not everyone would have your experience and qualification reader of course not but many people could do better and I think as long as it's phrased in that way it, it it's all good and look to, a vast majority of the time when when social workers are in court it does come across that way occasionally it doesn't and and it can it can rub social workers, in inverted commas, up uneasily sometimes because social workers may be thinking... Well, I worked till midnight to do that last night because I've got 35 cases. That that assessment that is being rubbished um, was the best I was able to do in the time that I was given because I picked up these cases halfway through. That family, no wonder they felt disaffected by the local authority. I was the sixth social worker they had in a year. So it's all those issues that are ascribed. But equally, on the flip side, you know, I, I'll never criticise independent social workers. I've been blessed in their time I've been a social worker, I've maybe only worked with about five or six independent social workers in total. Uh, But all of those have been really good. I've never had fault with an independent social worker. I've had fault with one actually who filed months late, which I did have to raise issue with, because that wasn't on because by that social worker filing months late. It, it knocked things back for children. That's the only time that I, I've had issues with an independent. Um, before I get myself in too much trouble with the independent social work community, particularly yourself, by having to go at people too much, um, I will leave it there, my friend. Uh, Rita, thank you ever so much for joining us on the show today. It's been a pleasure, and in particular, to get that insight into independent social work. Because let's be real about this: there isn't there isn't too much written about independent social workers. You kind of, I know social work in general is not very well heralded, and it's quite an under the radar profession. But even within our clandestine profession independent social workers. You don't get much attention, do you, my friend?
1: No, we're very much uh, sort of an unknown quantity, really. Um, And also... um Yes, a sort of a, a a sort of minority uh, w- within the sort of social work profession um, in, in many ways, really. We certainly were during the pandemic, but that's probably another, uh, you know, could take another um, podcast to discuss that. Um, but yes, we're very much, um, you know, a small group and a small voice in a lot of ways.
0: So to finish off, if any of our listeners are fancying getting into independent social work, how do they do it, Rita? How would you suggest if someone starts? How, how many years experience would somebody need to have? And when they've had those years of experience, how would they go about becoming an independent social worker?
1: Um. I've I've never, I've not come across any um, specific um, uh, industry or sort of regulatory body standards really. Um, We we know, for example, that to be a guardian, uh, they typically say a minimum of three years experience. In my, uh, in the work that I've undertaken, I've um, spoken to um, those commission independent social workers, and they often sort of are looking for um, someone who has, uh, you know, so Social care experience minimum, and and so on, or in addition to that, um, a good five years post-qualifying experience as a social worker will be um, a starting point in terms of credibility and in terms of um, giving a sense of um, uh, contracting someone um, for for a, a you know a complex and and um, you know specialised uh, piece of work that they can rely on insofar as uh, setting yourself up as independent, does some practicalities are very straightforward Um, so uh, I'm conscious that I'm I'm speaking very much sort of England based but um, Mm. it's registering uh, with uh, the um, HMRC so it's setting yourself up effectively as a sole trader or or a small business so that's a a practicality that you need to uh, you you need to um, get used to and rules that you need to abide by in terms of how you are paid Um, and really just uh, fostering uh, contacts, uh, th- those who have contacts in the professions so it will be uh, perhaps managers uh, of local authorities that you you know and also contacts within, even more importantly within the legal profession so typically um, barristers, solicitors uh, those who work in, in um, child and family law have uh, been made aware that um, you are available for work um, and that you have something as simple as you're always um, asked to pro, uh, to provide a CV, so you need to get your uh, you know get, get a number of uh, things ready to be able to offer your services as an independent social worker. Um, and I think like anything else is once you've completed uh, a certain you know a few assessments and your name becomes known in a in, in a particular circle of of um, of a family court, then uh, you know that that repeat um, you know mm-hmm. that sort of commissioning becomes a much more flowing experience. Um, I I suppose the only uh, one thing to mention is as an independent social worker you're only as good as your last piece of work so yes. your, your reputation matters um, so you know it's a little bit I don't want to sort of um, perhaps use a, a crude and a, and uh, and uh, you know a, a bizarre analogy um, but I sometimes think uh, you know I'm in the same position as a, as a football manager really you know I might do a fantastic piece of work or you know you, you take a team to the top um, yeah. and, and someone is talking about it for a couple of weeks saying, well, a fantastic sibling assessment it was and how, you know, it was, you know, well researched, written, observed and all the rest of it. And actually, by the same token, you know, if if I get something wrong, inverted commas, um, or, you know, if I... um, Fail to produce the same standard the following time on a, on a parenting assessment, for example, um, you know certainly uh, commented upon, and, and certainly your, your reputation uh, becomes to, to, to can decline as well as mm-hmm. go up into the sky and can fall down like a heavy stone just at the same um, speed. So you've got to be sort of pretty confident, and and you've got to work incredibly hard as an independent social worker in terms of the quality of your work. We'll, Make or break um, your 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 future, um, but the rewards are great. The autonomy in to, as a professional is fantastic. The flexibility of work it is, uh, and you know the uh, I feel that the remuneration is also um, you know something that is is an advantage really um, mm. for, for those who are looking to be able to pay their bills with more ease than you would do by uh, um, practicing as a social worker in other in other areas.
0: Well, God bless you, and God bless independent social workers, Rita, because you are you are most certainly needed. Um, like I say, in all but one of the circumstances where I've worked, well, to be fair, that assessment when it did come in was was acceptable. But yeah, you know, independent social workers—they do an unheralded job. But you do a necessary job because if not, if not for independent social workers, many cases for the family courts just would not progress. If not for independent social workers, the local authority, Kafgas, and family courts would be bereft of options. You are, you are like Gandalf coming at the, 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 the dawning of the day on the fifth day, coming to save us with the carol, uh, with the cavalry, on many occasions. So yeah I can say although I have although we have social workers have sometimes on occasion had cause to take umbrage with independent social workers comments on the whole on the whole you do a good job and I'm ever so grateful and I'm sure our listeners are equally grateful for you sharing your time with us on the podcast today so thank you for joining us Rita thank you ever so much my friend
1: it's been a very very pleasant experience social work teacher, and thank you for the opportunity to um to talk about independent social work
0: oh thank you my friend i always say this to our listeners and out to our guests and listeners but you know we wouldn't have a show if it wasn't for guests like you coming on and we wouldn't have an audience if it wasn't for our listeners investing their time so the thanks and gratitude all stem from me to you. So there we go, listeners. That was Rita. She has joined us to talk about independent social work. As always, listeners, thank you ever so much for your support. Support, support, support. I haven't done a podcast for a while. I'm out of the link. Support, subscribers, subscriptions, (laughs) views, likes. I'm not, I'm going, it's all the wine I've drank, Rita. It isn't the wine I've drunk. (laughs) I haven't drunk for a long time. I'll try that again. Listeners. Thank you ever so much for your support, your subscriptions, your likes, and your shares. As always, if you did have the time to leave us a review on iTunes, that would mean a lot. Equally, if you want to join us for the out-of-hours shows, do check out patreon.com forward slash Tutor. I am obviously too tired. It is time for me to finish off here, Rita. Once again, my friend, thank you for your time today.
1: Thank you, and uh, it's much better. So you to well done, good finish.